Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome into a Syracuse basketball podcast. I'll be your host, James Zuba. We're joined today by the ever-so-talented Christian DeGuzman of NewsMagician.com and other affiliates. Christian, how you doing? I'm doing good, James. Um, hopefully better than Syracuse's defense, but I'm doing good. Oh, low blow. All right. Good to have you. Uh, first episode of a Syracuse basketball podcast. Before we get into the hoops, the prelude, the offseason, the first game of the season, uh, first, Christian, I'm pretty sure most people in this audience are already familiar with you, but before we get into the basketball, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about you, your path. You're from New Jersey. You ended up at Syracuse and, and what you're doing now. Yep. So as everyone, as most of the people know, I'm a Syracuse grad, two-time Syracuse grad, um, grad in 14 uh, with a sport management degree grad, no, not 14. That's when I started. Grad in 18 with a sport management degree, grad in 22 with a uh, broadcast degree, and seen a lot of good and bad and everything in between Syracuse athletics-related sports, and now I share that frustration with everyone on NoonsMagician.com. Everyone knows me on Noons as the eternal pessimist, and that shall continue here on, bas- on the basketball side as well until basketball gives me a reason to not be pessimist. Yeah, newsmagician.com, where all Syracuse fans go to vent their frustrations. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, so so let's get into it. So let's take it back. We'll, we'll get into the games. Before we get into that, let's let's talk a little bit about last season, where, we, where we're at with Syracuse basketball and the transition. So obviously last season, Jim Beheim retires after 47 years. Adrian Autry takes the helm. A lot happened. Uh, got the entire six-man freshman class to return, tapped the transfer portal for some key transfers, and pretty much hit the ground running. Uh, Joe Girard transferred to Clemson. Jesse Edwards transferred to West Virginia. Some key losses there, but Syracuse brings back a lot. So just just starting there, Christian, before we get into the details of, of the season and the first game, uh, what were your impressions of the offseason and, and what were the key moments? It was a nearly perfect offseason for Syracuse. I think if you could have kept Jesse Edwards, then it would have been the absolute 100% perfect offseason for Syracuse because you f- feel like you got depth. At the very least, you got depth on the roster. And whether that depth turns into starting depth or just good depth to have off the bench, it really didn't matter because this is one of the first times in quite some time it felt like Syracuse had decent options to go to 
just at any time in the game. And now, obviously, at the beginning of the year, injuries and have kind of hampered that. But the roster construction-wise, at least for the offseason, there isn't much else Adrian Autry could do. Um, from what we know, much of the Jesse Edwards situation was out of his hands. So there wasn't much that Adrian Autry could have done basically in his power to keep Edwards around. There were a lot of outside forces, at least from what we know, that led uh, Jesse Edwards to look for a different place to play college basketball. So other than Edwards leaving, this was setting up to be a pretty ideal first season under a new head coach who seemingly not only made all the right moves, but said all the right things in the preseason. No doubt. And key transfers come in, Chance Westry, J.J. Starling, Kyle Cuff, uh, Naheem McLeod from Florida State, joining that big sophomore now sophomore class. Judah Mintz comes back, decides to forego the NBA to come back for a sophomore season. With all that, what before we get into kind of the the preseason and you know the scrimmages and that sort of stuff, what what were the biggest storylines to you coming into this season? The easiest one had to be uh, Judah Mintz coming back because in in this day and age of modern basketball, I mean, people can very easily you know see even going into second round as being worth it to um, to head for the NBA and decide right. to forego the rest of their college careers. Uh, it very clearly seemed like, you know, Judah, whether it was money wise or just wanted to get better wise or some combination of both saw that he, there was a better opportunity to come back to Syracuse for a second year. And at at least in the very short term for the selfish Syracuse perspective, that changes Syracuse's team. I think this is at least what we saw in short spurts. This is a very different team without Judah Mintz on the floor. Um, He's clearly especially now as a sophomore, having a year under his team and without some of the other big personalities from last year's roster, he's one of the de facto leaders of this Syracuse squad and he backs it up with his gameplay. And so his return is undoubtedly the most important part of this Syracuse season, Um, at least of the things that happened. If Jesse Edwards came back, I would have you know, pushed for Jesse Edwards as probably the most important key. But as we alluded to, not much you could do there. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, as you mentioned, with, with his decision to return. Now with NIL and players able to, to earn money. Prior to that, it was, yeah, if, if you're a fringe second round guy, you go. And even before that, even if you were outside outside the top 60 prospects, we saw players go. Rob Doster once said something I thought was really smart of the field of 68. And he said, if a player decides to come back for college basketball and he can't make money, this was before NIL, the average professional basketball career might be 10 years. You're really sacrificing 10% of your career earnings in that space by, by playing college basketball. Now we've seen, especially with big men deciding to come back, obviously the, the skill set, the demand at the NBA is a little bit different. Um, which is why we've seen so many good big men in, in college basketball. But um, it, it's really interesting, you know, and I, I think some of the big storylines, you know, for me are just 
Jim Beheim is no longer here. Uh, yeah. We'll get into that a little bit after the first game last night uh, under Autry's tenure. Um, and Autry taking over. And then, yeah, as Judah Mintz coming back, uh, playing a different style, man-to-man defense, the pace, want, you know, Autry wants to pick up the pace, um, do things a little bit different stylistically on offense. So um, the, there's no shortage of storylines, obviously, coming into the season. But um, let's let's transition in, into the season. Um Syracuse obviously had a couple of exhibitions. Um, before that, Syracuse had a couple of intra-squad scrimmages. Uh, during that time, Christian, I guess, what, what are your big takeaways from, from those games and those intra-squad scrimmages? What, what stood out to you? What you said earlier, which is that Adrian Autry, at least offensively, wants to play with a faster tempo, especially in transition. This is a team that in general, under Bayheim would be a team that would settle down the transition, get the ball to the point guard, and slowly walk it up the field in transition. Now this is a team that wants to push the pace, uh, not just in the in the half-court setting, but definitely in the full-court setting, which is what we saw a bunch of times in the exhibition games and in the first game of the season against New Hampshire. And it's, at least for me, a refreshing change of pace because there haven't been at least from a outsider looking in as a quote-unquote relatively new fan to the Syracuse basketball space, it really hasn't seemed like Jim Beheim has had much of a plan or a coaching style in general offensively. It feels like Jim Beheim's most most of the time, and for probably good reason, he spends his coaching time and emphasis on defense and teaching his signature 2-3 zone. But now with Adrian Autry, he's got a specific plan on offense and also on defense, but he's teaching them both. And I feel like that's a necessary balance to come, especially in the modern day with basketball. But it's also a necessary change because it's flowing. It's a more it's flowing more and changing the program more into the way that basketball players and kids want to play nowadays which i think is just so huge if you can show up-and-coming high schoolers and -and up-and-coming talents that if they come to syracuse they're going to play a brand of basketball that they're going to enjoy it's going to entice them more to come and play other than you know we're going to teach you a brand new defense that you probably never even thought of playing in your entire basketball career. Oh, and on offense, it's good luck and figure it out. On offense, it's going one-on-one. And on defense, it's a 2-3 zone that's going to be used against you when you want to launch your professional career. Uh, yeah, really interesting stuff. Coming coming into the first game, we know – Chance Westry out indefinitely in what was reported as a knee injury uh, by Syracuse.com. Benny Williams has been suspended for the, from the team for a violation of team rules, was not there for the opening tip for the first game of the season. Malik Brown uh, tweaked his groin, which was also reported by Syracuse.com, which limited him in the second exhibition. And you also have Kyle Cuff, Peter Carey, J.J. Starling all coming off years in which they were injured the year prior of all this christian uh what concerns you the most how, how would you categorize these injuries and, and suspensions and where syracuse is and, and what what is the most concerning to you 
I think there's two areas of concern. And if you listen to, you know, the Disloyal Idiots podcast on this very same network, um, you've heard you've heard me voice these concerns. Um, and it's with Chance Westry and Benny Williams, mainly with Chance Westry, um, because I think just from a quick look at Westry's tape, I felt like he could have been another kind of outside shooter or at least mid-ranged outside shooter that Syracuse at at the very least looks like it desperately needs because Justin Taylor and Chris Bell on the floor at the same time just doesn't look like it's going to work out, especially the way that Syracuse has developed Justin Taylor over his few years at Syracuse. They've developed him as a three where he really should be receiving the Buddy Beheim two development um, because, I mean, when you look at them, they're the same player. So it really just Justin Taylor should be treated more like a two, but he's being asked to do things like a three. And already that place is being filled by just Chris Bell. And you can't really have both of them playing at the same time where if Chance Westry was available, you could theoretically play him at the two and have at least one of Bell or Taylor. And now you have two more reliable outside shooting options that can occupy the floor at the same time. And with the limitations we saw three point wise from Syracuse against New Hampshire, um, and, 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 and spurts during the preseason, that's so, so important to have um, another outside shooter. And it goes along with the, you know, the saying of modern basketball and, you know, playing an enticing basketball style, you want to encourage kids to score from the three, because that's, how you're going to get ahead this these days in basketball. The other concerning part was Benny Williams, and we saw that a lot in spades against New Hampshire. Yes, Syracuse won the rebound battle against New Hampshire. It was only by six. And you expect the team of Syracuse's caliber against the team of New Hampshire's caliber to at least win the rebound battle a bit more decisively. And you, the hope is that when Benny Williams comes back from his um, short suspension, whenever that may be, that he will at least help in that department. If he doesn't, then Syracuse has another year-long problem with rebounding, which somehow didn't go away with the removal of zone all the time. Going back to Justin Taylor, Buddy Beheim was big, 6'5" broad shoulders. Justin Taylor's bit. Justin Taylor has a bigger frame. He's a big dude. Like you stand up next to him and, and um, interview him and he's got these big broad shoulders. He's really physical. He looks much more big in person than he does on television. That's for sure. But uh, you bring up a lot of valid concerns. It looks like the three point shooting could be a problem defensively. There's some breakdowns. Rebounding does look to be an issue. It was a big issue last year. Could easily have been pinned on the zone. Uh, this year, obviously playing man-to-man defense, you don't have that excuse. So that will be thing forward. T- taking it back by positions, and it's it's interesting how Autry really wants to play a more positionless style of basketball. He talks about what he wants to do on offense. Have four players on the perimeter who can dribble, pass, shoot, um, and certainly Syracuse has that. I want to look at the groups a little bit, starting with the guards and. You know, the lines are kind of blurred. Is is Quadir Copeland a guard? Is he a forward? Is Justin Taylor a guard or forward? Uh, Chris Bell has guard skills, but he plays the forward. I guess take this in, in any direction you want, but start starting with the guards. What do you see out of the guard group that starts with Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling? Well, 
to kind of piggyback off my first point with Bell and Taylor, what you quickly start to realize with this Syracuse team is that if Syracuse were to roll out its, you know, quote unquote, best starting five, there's a lot of similar play styles on the team. Because when you look at Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling, you know, the two presumed starting guards for the entire season, they're very, very similar. They're score-first guards who have point guard handling abilities but don't necessarily want to give up the rock because they're drive-to-the-hoop point guards. Chris Bell and Justin Taylor already spoke about. And so it leaves your quote-unquote lesser players, at least in the guard position, as a sort of a toss-up of do we want to put them into the lineup for more balance at the risk of removing one of our better players, quote-unquote, skill-wise? And so that's kind of the balance that I think Adrian Autry is going to really have to struggle and deal with as we go along this season, especially because Kadir Copeland as well, again, like you said, is he a guard or forward? He's also a guy that is probably has a bit more passing, but also if he's going to score, he's going to drive, dribble, drive to the hoop. And so do you throw in Kyle Cuff a bit more, who seems like he'll take on a bit more outside shooting um, if he's asked? at the risk of, again, not having another big physical guard like J.J. Starling, who definitely has all at least the physical attributes over right. Cuff to succeed in college basketball right now, the lineup balance is going to be really, really difficult with the guards in terms of, okay, do I want to put out the best physical players out there and, quote-unquote, the best overall players out there versus do I put out the players who are there that will give my lineup the best balance? And I think that's going to be really tricky, at least from what we've seen so far in this Syracuse team. Going into the forward group, you touched on it a little bit with, yeah, Quadir, obviously, who's capable of playing forward or guard, and uh, Justin Taylor, Chris Bell, uh, even Malik Brown. We'll get to the centers in a minute. But from from the forward group, you talked about some of those guys already, but what, what do you see out of the forwards? Well, it's weird because you have two sets of forwards. It's, you know, the quote-unquote, forwards, guards, and Taylor, Bell, and and Copeland. And then it's, you know, everyone else, your, your power forwards and centers. I mean, the centers could even be a separate group in themselves. But your, your, your power forwards are Benny Williams and maybe Malik Brown, although, although he's, you know, shifting more towards the center group nowadays. Who knows with <laughs> Malik Brown? Sure. And so when you really think about it, Syracuse doesn't have a true power forward. And now, yes, in positionalist basketball, that means less of that makes less of a difference. But as we already mentioned, Syracuse's lineup balance is all over the place in terms of being able to succeed with that positionless basketball. So as much as we want that to succeed, you're, you're gonna need something from those forward groups that produces quote unquote typical forward playing styles, and that is being a bit more physical in the post game, getting rebounds, you know, just making a, a making a tough on opposing big men in general. And right now you only really can see that from at least in this, at least in this iteration of Syracuse basketball, you really only see that in Malik Brown. It remains we don't know if Benny Williams is going to show that or not yet, because we haven't seen him against Division One competition this season. So you would you've got to hope that Benny Williams can provide some of that physicality 
to help balance out the Syracuse lineup. Look needed in game one. If nothing else, maybe another body would have helped in that in that first uh, first game against New Hampshire. Syracuse looked to run out of gas about ten minutes in. I don't know if it was you know wind, if it was a struggle to keep up that kind of tenacity that they opened the game with. But you'd like to think that Benny Williams would have would have been a help in that game. Going into the guards, and, and maybe we need to update our, our terminology and how we we view basketball in the the year 2023 but going into the center group it's a deep group it's not one that's super experienced you get Naheem McLeod in from Florida State probably the most experienced center on the roster Malik Brown looks to be the second option there uh behind behind McLeod with Autry going to him for stretches long stretches yesterday at the center position Peter Carey looks to be third in rotation uh, and we've yet to see Munir Hima in either the first the first game or either of the exhibitions, and then and then lastly and certainly not least, uh, Will Patterson, seven foot two freshman off the bench, pretty good guy, pretty good length to get off the bench as a freshman, and to have as your fifth option at center. Uh, what what have you seen from the center group? What what intrigues you about it, and what intrigues you about Autry's style of play with with that group? This is another one of those jury still out thing because we really haven't seen Fair. enough from this center group to really make a assumption of what it really could be because from what we've seen, the guy who's going to get the majority of the minutes at center is Malik Brown, and and I know we you know we a lot of us like Malik Brown as a player. I'm certainly a big Malik Brown fan. Uh, I I call him Mark Dolajai without the passing because that's essentially <laughs> what he is. Um, Malik Brown is one of the smartest basketball players on the on the court, with um, a really really high IQ. Just knows to be where his positioning is, uh, pretty much all the time on both sides of the court. But against bigger ACC competition, Malik Brown should not be the five that gets the most minutes against Armando Baycott. That's right. that if that. If we're at that position by the time Syracuse plays UNC, then there's we've probably noticed the problem way before that as well. Um, and the big thing is right now um, is that, for, first of all, it's clear that Syracuse needs to build up Nikki McLeod's game fitness because, um, as you alluded to on the Disloyal Idiots podcast, McLeod hasn't been played in games for long stretches of time due to Leonard Hamilton fielding 97 big men on his roster at any given point. So it is it is a style of basketball he'll have to get used to because Syracuse found itself really in a safety blanket um, the last two years with, or even longer than that, the last th- three, four years with Mark Dolezal and Jesse Edwards having the ability to play basically 30 minutes a game. And what is now missing because those guys are not here is inside scoring from big men. Because you can't expect Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling to do all the inside scoring when they run up against Baycott, Filipowski, God forbid it's Edie that Syracuse runs up against also. So there is there there needs to be 
a bit more for me there needs to be a lot more of concerted effort from the centers on the Syracuse team, McLeod, Carey, Hema, to you know create something offensively for Syracuse and provide something offensively for Syracuse. Uh, because Browns, as much as we love Browns play style, it's gonna work out a lot better if Syracuse has them as traditional four. No doubt. So somewhere along the way, I think Leonard Hamilton just said, I'm not going to fall for the Steph Curryification of basketball. And I'm just going to roll out four seven footers and a six, six point guard and see what happens. Uh, certainly interesting. <laughs> Rough year for Florida there, State. Last there, year, so there, there, there are some years it works and some years where it definitely doesn't work. Yeah. Last year was one of those years. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. Injured to start the season, but uh, not, not a good finish by Florida State either. <laughs> Uh, you, you bring up a lot of interesting points. Uh, I think you're right in the sense that if Malik Brown is the backup option there, it's going to be really interesting to see what Autry does in a game like with a Purdue looming maybe in the Maui Invitational in a potential second-round matchup. What do you do against the Zach Eady um, or an Armando Baycott in North Carolina or even like a DJ Burns at NC State, if you remember him, big burly center, yeah, undersized, the, but big one of the- dude. One of the biggest frames in the ACC. Like, You're not moving him. So, yeah, it, it's even if, more interesting, had, I think. If you had Burns and Naheem McLeod lineup profile, it's 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 a shocking, shocking comparison. Totally. It'll be interesting to see if, if Peter Carey is that third option, right? Like both roster-wise and then stylistically too. Do, do you maybe go back to the 2-3 zone if you have a big guy out there and uh, you're afraid of maybe playing him one-on-one in low post coverage? So that that's something that we'll keep our eye on for sure. Um, let's, let's get into it. We've delayed long enough. Let's go into the first game. Syracuse was able to hold off New Hampshire 83-72 to in the season opener and Adrian Autry's debut. We mentioned some of the foibles there already. The three-point shooting was lackluster. The defense, good to start, broke down at various points. Autry went back to the old reliable 2-3 zone. Somewhere Jim Beheim is smiling. It wasn't the JMA wireless dome. And the offense looked good to start. Also broke down. The ball started to stick. We saw it, we started to see some of that old, familiar kind of one-on-one basketball. Uh, as you mentioned, Judah Mintz, J.J. Starling. Guys trying to get in the lane, make a jump shot. What stood out to you in the first game, Christian, of of the Adrian Autry era, and what what were your major takeaways from that game? Defensively, it doesn't matter if Syracuse is playing man to man or zone. Syracuse, just in general, still doesn't know how to defensively rotate and when to defensively rotate because. When New Hampshire had as many open looks as it did, they deserved to hit all the threes that New Hampshire did. I mean, New Hampshire was 14 to 19 from downtown. And a lot of that was because a guy slid to help out in the lane, which left a kickout pass for a really easy three. And there were multiple times on the broadcast where you could hear Eric Dievendorf kind of like sighing and being like, yeah. That's on this guy. That's on that guy because you could hear him getting visibly frustrated with the defensive rotations, no matter if they were in man-to-man or in zone. And so that's the biggest thing that Syracuse has to figure out. Like, what what kind of shape are you going to hold defensively? Is it going to be more, at least when you're in man-to-man, is it going to be more markier guys? Is it going to be less double-teaming because 
it seemed like at least against New Hampshire, against a smaller team, double teaming really didn't seem that effective. And it left really, really easy threes, which again, that's where basketball is going. Teams want to hit the three and you're giving them that opportunity. So the defensive rotation is something that Syracuse needs to work on. Yeah, the three-point line was a bit of a concern on both ends of the floor. Also, the Daniels kid on New Hampshire, I had not heard of him before last yeah. night. He was really he was really effective as a lefty in there, senior player, veteran guy. And he took Quadir Copeland and Justin Taylor down to the low block a couple times and scored. I wonder going forward if teams are going to try to isolate maybe those guys and see if they can score on them. I don't know if that was a strategy or if that was just a fortuitous matchup that they that he saw and tried to take advantage of. But no, I definitely I definitely think that will be something that happens because again, there's when when you play the way that Syracuse plays, the physical defenders are in your four and five. You're not going to have some kind of physical guy in the three who is kind of an all-around guy like you would see in the NBA nowadays, like a typical three would be. So so right now, the better teams in the ACC will have guys who played the three or even the two who can back down Copeland, Taylor, and Bell defensively and get into the post for those easy opportunities to either score or even kick it out. That's what I thought made the zone move so interesting down the stretch. I think the most obvious reason was that Judah Mintz had four fouls. And in the last nine minutes or so, Autry really went to that 2-3 zone. But also, it, it does make sense when, when you wanted to give them a different look. Uh, Daniels hadn't followed out at that point, I don't believe. So um, going to the zone kind of neutralizes the ability for him to just take a Copeland one-on-one to the low block. Um, and forces them to do something different. So either way, I find it really interesting that Autry is willing to make in-game adjustments on the fly in his first game. I don't think he planned on playing as much zone as he did, Christian. Was was that your sense as well? Definitely. I think this is yeah. this is a um, – you can tell this like a coach from Autry's perspective. This is a coach that wants to be his own coach, wants to build his own style, wants to build – a brand of basketball that doesn't attach himself to the style of basketball that has grounded itself into place over the past 47 years. So this is, and that's totally fine by me. I think that's, you know, I think most coaches are going to want to do that. They want to, you know, showcase their brand of basketball and showcase their own style and have some short, some have some sort of ownership over their program. Um, But, at, at the very least, that in-game adjustment is big. I mean, because it, it, when when Beheim was coach, it felt like if their in-game adjustment needed to be made, there was only one option, and it was the full court press. Yeah. And that was it. Um, there wasn't anything he could do offensively or defensively to make a different switch in order to give a team a different look. And... He had to go to the full court press and hope it worked. Now, of course, sometimes it did, 2016 Virginia, but other times it did not, and it failed spectacularly, 2016 North Carolina. So you you have to – I think this is good for Matri. He, he has options at the very least of what he could do to give teams a different look. And, hey, Adrian Autry's been here. He's got a guy on his coaching staff who has been here, two of them, in fact, who have been here, and 
all three of those guys know how to not only play the zone, but coach the zone as well. So at least if it needs to be cameraed out a bit more, you can at least turn to that and you have those at your option. Because let's be honest, man-to-man probably isn't the hardest defense to teach. The zone's a little bit harder. Man-to-man is probably not as hard to teach. So he can probably have a couple of pointers here and there on situations on when to double team or not. But otherwise, he's got that zone in his back pocket. Yeah. I think the man is a little bit more intricate than most people realize just in terms of how you choose to defend ball screens, pin downs, those sorts of things. And then situationally, personnel wise, you know, if you're guarding a shooter, obviously you want to come up above the screen, get around. You want to, you want to show hedge, uh, and a non-shooter you want to go under, don't help. You know, there's all sorts of scenarios in man that well, are really you should have told, You should have told West Virginia in 2021 that. I don't That's know right. a lot. That's right. But you bring up an interesting point uh, with the optionality there. Uh, reminds me of a Jim Beheim quote from last season at the end of the Pittsburgh game proclaiming, we don't have another defense, which I found one of the more fascinating yeah, missions of his career uh, toward toward the last uh, five or six years since I've been covering the team. But uh, it's it's one of those things that sounds so ridiculous on its face, but you understand what he means by it and that they <laughs> they just have the zone. Uh, which also reminds me of another famous no escalators tweet, which, you know, there, there are adjustments to be made within the zone, but I think no escalators once, once tweeted out mocking the, the adjustments, the supposed adjustments that Syracuse had made and said, we tried a zone, a two, three zone, and then another zone and then a two, three zone. Um, so shout out no escalators for the humor on that one, but we'll, we'll, we'll shift gears a little bit, you know, talking, talking more back about that game. Before we turn the page, was there anything else that stood out to you? I don't know if you caught Autry in the postgame presser. He he came up. The first thing he says is, I got to get the sweat off a little bit. Um, he said, thank God for the 2-3 zone. And the players showered him with waters after the game in the in the locker room. I thought that was really interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, as you've alluded to, and I think it's very easy from an outside looking in perspective, this is a team that's bought in on their coach, just in general. You don't get six transfers into your program on a basketball roster without having a coach that they want to play for. Right. And, and as quote unquote bad as a season Syracuse had last year, you don't get the amount of returners that came back to this team unless they have a coach they want to play for. So, like, this is a team that doesn't sound like it's going to lose mentality or composure very, very easily if they go on big losing streaks or big ga- big runs of disappointing gameplay. This is a team that sounds like it believes in its head coach, believes in its coaching staff, and it's refreshing to say. I don't think that we've said that with a team under Jim Beheim for at least a decade, maybe. So that is, that's one of the big refreshing changes um, to this team. But then, as we've kind of mentioned, it's going to be all about lineup balance because I don't think I don't think Adrian Autry is expecting Kadir Copeland to get 13 rebounds every <laughs> single game. So it's this will be a team that still has a lot of kinks to work at. I mean, that's just going to be a natural when you have so many so much roster upheaval and 
in general coaching upheaval as well with the program. And so it's there's a lot that needs to be worked out on in terms of, you know, keeping the team focused, keeping them focused on the style of basketball they, that breeds success and not the one that, you know, might be the most enticing in front of them, which for a lot of these players is isolation, one-on-one drive to the hoop and make a hero play. So th- there's got to be a bit of mentality of that drilled in in order for at least this team offensively to succeed. Defensively, open prey, I guess. We'll see. Never never a good strategy. Hope is not a strategy. If Syracuse is, is relying on Quadri Copeland to get 13 rebounds every night, they're, they're going to be in trouble. I think that's for sure. Nope. Um, Copeland, very animated, as always, in the locker room last night, said he didn't even know he had 13 rebounds in the game. He also wasn't aware that uh, he had a double-double until he walked off the court. Um, re- really interesting, really good interview, Copeland. Uh, Larger-than-life personality, but uh, let's talk with him in the first that's thing he said. That's he, easy to see. Yeah, of course. Uh, just said he couldn't wait to tell his parents all about his double-double. So uh, really cool, really cool uh, just to, to see him have that moment. He's, he's a really interesting, fascinating guy. Um, we're getting into the meat and potatoes of the show. I'm pretty sure we're supposed to do like a, a home field ad read at this point. Um, oh, I, can I don't handle know if we that worked that into this show. Yeah, I can What's handle that? that for you. We always thank our great sponsors at the pod uh, on 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 the disloyal idiots podcast as in general. Well, home field apparel, your one stop shop for all your great um, apparel, retro apparel needs. If you go to homefieldapparel.com and use the code noons twenty three, that's n u n e s two three, you can get ten percent off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. Why not head there right now? Because Syracuse bomber jackets are now on sale. Part of Homefields Apparel's tip off lunch, where they're releasing uh, bomber jackets for a numerous amount of basketball-related schools um, just in general throughout this opening week of college basketball to celebrate the return of college basketball. And while you're there also, why not pick up some of the other great home field apparel retro gear that you might like from Syracuse or from numerous amounts of any other schools that you want. Once again, homefieldapparel.com and use code NUNES23, that's N-U-N-E-S-2-3, for 10% off your first order. That was without notes. Yeah, because I'm done. You have that memorized? Do you, I, do you no, that I, I do not have that memorized. That's actually all off the cuff. But it's because we like Homefield a lot, and we like to sponsor them and their materials a lot. So thank you once again, Homefield Apparel, for sponsoring the podcast. All off the Kyle cuff. Uh, indeed, well indeed. Well done. Specifically the junior, because um, in the reoccurring segment, Christian is younger than his co-workers. I wasn't around for Kyle Cuff Sr., Nice. <laughs> Moving, turning the page. Uh, you know, I thought thought it was interesting. I'll, I'll wrap up kind of the post game coverage, but uh, Copeland, you know, just highlighted that Tuesday would be a film day. Uh, Autry wasn't going to celebrate the first win too much. Said he was just going to spend some time with family. Uh, pretty standard stuff. Nothing special. Um, and they all kind of highlighted that the Canisius game looms on on Wednesday. 7 p.m. tip, uh, another ACC Network X ESPN Plus game from the JMA Wireless Dome uh, before getting to to some more traditional television channels next week. Uh, Christian, uh, what are you eyeing in game two? What what are the big stories for you coming out of game one? We'll see if we get Benny Williams back, still suspended from the team. Autry did not want to elaborate in game one. 
uh, Donna Dakota of Syracuse.com had asked him status, uh, Autry, the status of Benny Williams. Adrian Autry did not, did not berate a student reporter when asked about Benny Williams. Um, that, that should be of note. Um, he did not, he did not berate the reporter. We'll see if Syracuse can build off of that performance. Uh, obviously, a lot to work on, but Christian, what what are you eyeing? What's what are the important storylines for you going into game two against Canisius? In a very broad general sense that probably encompasses everything we're about to talk about for the next few minutes, it's play a full 40 minutes. Because we haven't seen Syracuse basketball yet, even in its exhibition games, we haven't seen them put together a full 40 minutes of basketball. It always feels like there's some stumbling block in the middle of the game. In the exhibitions, it was the start of the second half. In this game, it was 10 minutes into the first half. Um, There was always some stumbling gap where Syracuse just seems to kind of turn it off, and that allows their opponents to get back into the game. Um, Second half starts in general, and all three games have been very, very slow. And what does that all entail to all the issues that we pointed out at least early in this podcast, um, a lack of consistent three-point shooting, a, a large amount of isolation and effective isolation ball, a lack of defending the three with you know, with bad double teams, and a lack of rebounding that just generally, generally leads to these slow second-half starts. So Syracuse needs to put together a full 40 minutes before Maui badly because if they can't turn on basketball, if they can't focus as a team for the full 40 minutes, the Maui Invitational is not going to look pretty. Yeah, certainly difficult schedule early after Canisius. Syracuse will turn the page to Colgate. They'll have the weekend off of games anyway. They'll they'll practice. The following will be Colgate, and then Syracuse takes off for what could be the most difficult, the most gauntlet jam-packed Maui Invitational ever? Loaded fields. Don't think we need to rehearse that. I think we've talked about that. When you look at Colgate and Maui on the schedule, and the rest of the non-conference schedule, you, you know you've got games with LSU coming home in the ACC SEC now challenge. You've got a road game at Georgetown. You've got a really difficult conference game early at Virginia. The ACC schedule makers did not do Adrian Alter any favors when making the schedule. And then you've got the tail end of December. You've got a, a neutral court game with Oregon uh, in South Dakota at Sioux Falls. What do you make of the non-conference schedule, Christian? What, what should Syracuse fans expect through that stretch? And, and what are your expectations for Syracuse how do you think they'll fare in, in the non-conference before we talk about the ACC schedule? Unlike what we've seen from Jim Beheim, there aren't a lot of those quote-unquote gimme games, um, you know, or, you know, to quote Rothstein, buy games. There, there, haven't been, there aren't a lot of those buy games on the schedule for Syracuse to kind of get its act together and learn things. I mean, you could, I mean, Canisius is probably a buy game. I don't think and with the strength of Colgate's program in recent years, I don't think we can call Colgate a bye game. Cornell, I don't think we can call Cornell a bye game. The only other quote-unquote bye game that you really have is Niagara. And 
Myagra can have a couple of problems here and there that can throw a wrench in Syracuse's plans. So and the unfortunate thing for Syracuse, when you really like think about it and look at the schedule, it's a real trial by fire schedule. There aren't a lot of games and opportunities for Syracuse to get its feet wet and get comfortable under its new head coach and to get a lot of team cohesion with its new transfers and the new talent on its roster. So the unfortunate thing for Syracuse is that they've got to figure it out quick because there's a lot of firepower coming its way in a very, very short amount of time. You'd like to think that Niagara game would be a bye game. I think it is. Uh, I don't know if you caught the score. Notre Dame beat Niagara by seven points on opening night. But this is Notre Dame we're talking about. This is Notre Dame. This is a, a lowly talented Notre Dame team. I don't know if that, that poses better this for is, Notre This is Dame. Notre Dame who, if they were independent in basketball, would be what the equivalent of UConn was in football. <laughs> a really struggling program in the wake of Mike Bray's retirement. Uh, I think they hired the right guy. It's just going to take time for yeah. them to get some talent through the door. Um, by all accounts, I think Notre Dame was picked to finish last in the ACC by most experts, um, even below Louisville, which is saying something. Fair saying a lot of things. <laughs> Transition to the ACC schedule. It gets difficult early for Syracuse, obviously, as we mentioned with that game against uh, Virginia early. Uh, Syracuse has a couple games against Pittsburgh. They have the Duke game sandwiched in there. And then the schedule sort of inverts from what we're used to, and then it gets a little bit easier towards the end. Usually it's a made-for-television schedule toward the end of the year, uh, but it's inverted this year, which is perhaps interesting for Syracuse. What do you make of the ACC schedule? Syracuse has picked to finish you know, 10th and 11th by most people in the ACC this year. What do you make of the ACC schedule? And realistically, where do you see the Orange finishing this year? It's kind of like what the football schedule is this year in terms of in the, there are going to be some questionable games in the beginning of the season. But yeah, if you can escape with a positive record, it should be you know good things going. Let's steam ahead. But in the middle of the season, you have this absolute gauntlet of games that absolutely will probably wreck you. I mean, you start off, um, you, you start off ACC with Pitt, Duke, BC, North Carolina, Pitt, Miami, and like. The only easy game there is BC because Syracuse, for some reason, cannot figure out how to beat Pitt in the last three years. I don't know why, but Syracuse has no idea how to beat Pitt in the last three years. So, And Blake Henson is, is back. It's worrisome. Yeah, and his, name is, threat. and his name is Jeff Cable. <laughs> Who was on the hot seat not too long ago. Yeah. yeah Pittsburgh NCAA tournament appearance a season ago. Uh, Capel looks to have that program in uh, much better shape than in recent years. Yeah, and props to him. I mean, that, I mean, it was not good in the guy who took over for Dixon, who his name I'm forgetting. Um, Kevin Stallings, the famous Stallings, zero ACC win year. <laughs> yes, Kevin Stallings. Oh, good Stallball Lord. baby. God, it's. I don't know why I was getting Louisville Kevin. is the new stall ball. I'm pretty sure Kenny Payne is is the new Kevin Stallings. Yeah, about that. How do you think Kamari Lance is feeling right now in, in Louisville? Maybe that uh he wishes you would have went to Syracuse um or entered the transfer portal. Yeah, maybe maybe he should have came to Syracuse. He might have actually got some good playing time at Syracuse because that could have been another compliment to Benny in the front court. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I digress. That was one of the stranger commitments ever. It was all of a sudden the Kamari lands is interested in going to Syracuse and a commitment out of nowhere um, because his brother likes Syracuse, which kids choose schools for all sorts of arbitrary reasons. Mm-hmm. But one of the more random uh, Syracuse basketball recruitments that uh, didn't come to be, which there's been quite a few of those recently. Uh, yeah, including one that also went to Pitt um, after going to Oregon, after going to Syracuse, and then decisively not going to Pitt anymore. Or choosing a, an internship with New Balance rather than going to play at Syracuse in a, a lot Darius Baisley. Um, yes, yes. Some interesting Syracuse recruitments. I mean, it kind of worked out for Baisley. He's, getting, he's still getting paid in the NBA, so like, not a lot of Syracuse players in recent years, at least, can say that, that they're still getting paid. In. Like, there's only one Syracuse player in recent years that can say that, and that's O'Shea Percet, who, who says, he, who can, like, confidently say they're still getting paid in the NBA. You make a lot of good points. Uh, it's hard to stick in the NBA, um, but I don't think people understand that as much. There's only a certain number of roster spots. It's the best of the best, and if you last a couple of years in the league, you're pretty darn good. Uh, Christian, we'll get you out of here. Uh, first, just want to say thanks for coming on, taking the time, being the first guest on a Syracuse basketball podcast. Before we say goodbye, where can people find you? I'm pretty sure most people in the audience know where they can find you, but where where can people maybe listening for the first time find Christian DeGuzman? So you can find me on Twitter or X or whatever social media platform we decide is hot in vogue at the moment it's it will be at ct degus c-t-d-e-g-u-z i'm on there on twitter mainly venting my frustrations about syracuse football most of the time um but yeah you'll see me there um also on our beautiful website newsmagician.com um you can you know follow my writings and newsings there about you know i'll I, my my rule was kind of shifted at noons. So I'm kind of more writing the opinion pieces now on where I'm thinking, you know, the, Syrac- the Syracuse programs and many various sports are going. Uh, but there, you can find my musings there as well and many of my opinions on where Syracuse's programs are heading. So newsmagician.com on Twitter slash X at CT Goose. Thanks for joining us, Christian. And thanks to you, the listener as well, uh, for joining the first episode of a Syracuse basketball podcast. We'll have much more to come for you, so stay tuned. Thank you all for tuning in. For Christian DeGuzman, I'm James Zuba. Take care.